Welcome to another episode of Thoughts of a Techno Wizard. Uh, it is 12.56 p.m. Tuesday, April 26, 2022. And um, I think I'm going to do a little current events episode today. Just talk about some, some of my thoughts on the current stuff happening. Um, I'll try to keep it short because doing this in the latter half of lunch my lunch hour, lunch break, and uh, yeah, I started late because sometimes I tend to over fixate on stuff, so I was working on, I'm finally getting to work on the game portion um, of the company, our game called Loam, it's a gardening game, so we've been, uh, we have like over 60, or no, 80 items, 80 decor items, and I've been putting together some workshops to like card sorting workshops and now going into a tree testing workshop to create categories around all these items because before it was all in just one list so it's been fun being able to you know work on something like that <laughs> um, so then the first half of my lunch or I was supposed to be my lunch hour I, I was you know continuing this, this these categories and stuff like that um, kind of lost track of time but anyways <laughs> um, it's it was raining earlier today so I didn't think I was gonna be able to come out but now I am um, quick update on the car thing though um, so I'm not gonna buy like a you like I'm not gonna buy a new car I'm not gonna buy a used car from CarMax or anything like that um, good friend of mine is actually gonna sell me his car or his mother's car that you know they were trying to get rid of anyways it's an older vehicle 2005 a lot of mileage on it but it runs well um, and it'll sell it to me super cheap so that pretty much solves a lot of the problems I've been uh, struggling with um, unfortunately I won't be able to build my credit with it but you know he'll it's gonna help me out to find a good credit union or credit card to uh, you know build that up so uh, that's gonna be super helpful as well so hopefully in the next couple of months or a year or so um, I might when I have better credit I might get a get a newer car because um, I, I, I do still want one like the biggest downside to this car is because of the high mileage I don't really f I'm not really sure if it's a good idea to do like to, to go road tripping because <laughs> I really really want to do that um, I've been stuck you know in this this little part of Georgia for way too long and I really want to check out other little towns and nature preserves and um, all that kind of stuff with my partner and with my siblings and so yeah um, might not be able to do that yet but at least it's on the horizon but anyways like I said current events so there's been a lot of interesting stuff happening um, interesting if you want to call it that <laughs> which can be of course good or bad um, I personally like interesting times but of course these types of things that we we're seeing here is not so good so um, let me stop being vague of course we have Twitter being supposedly going to be bought by Elon Musk all right for 40 44 billion dollars or something like that now the deal hasn't gone through yet um, and even if they do accept the shareholders you know whatever um, it's going to be probably months of time worth of uh, 
paperwork before it actually is finalized and that's what people seem to you know always kind of skip past in these and these hot topics and these hot hot takes on social media is that it's not going to happen all of a sudden right <laughs> this stuff takes time even if it's a quick merger or a quick acquisition whatever it still takes a couple of months but it might even take longer than that because some people have sussed out that you know this whole process has been very rushed and i don't mean like the buying process what i mean is like the the one day elon just made a tweet like oh i'm going to take over twitter or whatever right um now granted he's been talking about this on and off for the past couple of months um but really this all started where earlier this month i think it was we put up a poll where he said something along the lines of you know um do you think twitter um currently has free speech or something something like that which is so stupid there's there's a lot of stuff to talk about free speech but <laughs> as i mentioned before many times before the whole idea of freedom that a lot of americans hold dear is incredibly vac vacuous and in fact it, it's funny <laughs> because just earlier this week i know i'm all over the place sorry but there's a lot of dots kind of connecting in my mind right now um but yeah earlier this week or was it late last week i was reading hegel and hegel was talking about how um there are certain ideas um that we kind of hold as as like where we can't use the name of the idea as a subject right we have to expand beyond that in order to actually engage with the idea i'm kind of butchering the, the the terms here but an example he gave is, is, for instance, if you're talking about religion, right? Like God. If you are trying to understand God or that idea of a being of a divine or a divinity, by just saying God, right? You're not actually engaging in what that means because now you just labeled it as just like, oh, yeah, that's God. Okay. All right. God is love. God is great. <laughs> but what does it actually mean, right? That doesn't actually give you anything deep. It's a superficial understanding. And people take that as, as like some, oh, yeah, God is good. God is great. Yes, amazing. But what does it actually mean? Right? A more interesting, you know, kind of um, dive into this is to say being. Right? Being is, or God is being, or something like that. Or instead of saying God, you're, you're focusing on what it means to be all a, a being period right and by doing so you can more engage in what it means to for instance if god is being itself then that means being alive for instance is what is good and great all right so instantly it's already you're already going you know deeper into this idea of the divinity or this uh you know this religious kind of concept then you were before by just saying oh yes god all right and there's there's a lot of other things you can get to it and i know i'm again i'm probably butchering this some somewhat but uh go watch my video <laughs> um as i'm learning th learning about hegel uh it was uh friday's video was what date was that i don't know a couple days before the 26th so go look it up <laughs> but yeah the point here is that you can see a similar thing with ideas of freedom, right? People say freedom in America, but what does that mean? 
<laughs> they say I'm for freedom okay freedom for what like to do what like what what are you free from what are you free what are you doing but and mo most people would have a whole bunch of different answers but their answers don't necessarily align with their actions similar to the idea of God is good God is great but your actions don't align <laughs> with what that actually means right and um, so it's super important when we talk about freedom of speech right we kind of uh, use it as a as a name as a concept as a vague idea but what does that actually mean right freedom of speech because according to the Constitution a private organization right or a public organization either way a company right does not actually have to grant you freedom of speech <laughs> because it's technically on their quote-unquote property right this is the one of the problems with with a uh, private property so a lot of people are saying freedom of speech freedom of speech you know the Constitution first first uh, first part of the Constitution right it says freedom of speech but America is built on the idea of private property where those constitutional rights don't necessarily are not like governmentally supported once you're in somebody's uh, property right that doesn't mean you know anything goes in those properties of course but that does mean that an organization a private organization does not have to you know um, behave like a government would like the government would and this is super, super important because a lot of the people who do not like the idea of Elon Musk buying Twitter are viewing Twitter as a public square, right? As a place that people in the general public can come and talk and this, and this discourse or whatever, learn, get news, meet other people, um, sell things, whatever, right? And people who are saying for free speech or usually more conservative are like oh no uh twitter is a private company right it's a private organization it's a, it's a company it's not a public uh it's not a public utility you can't treat it like that and yet they're going to turn around and, and say you know we're for free we're for free speech on this private platform <laughs> right so it's inherently a kind of a cognitive dissonance going on there now, personally, I believe that we should indeed have, you know, free speech. But what's more important here is what we actually mean by free speech, right? And unfortunately, what a lot of people mean by free speech is that people who want to bully, harass, um, say crazy shit can do that without consequences, which is not free speech, <laughs> at least not how it's constitutionally, you know, um, defined. The Constitution doesn't say anything about uh, not facing the consequences of your speech. You can call, you can, you know, say somebody's, uh, you know, talk about somebody's mother or whatever, <laughs> and that person, you know, can come and slap you. Now, granted, you know, they might get, in, in turn, charged for uh, harassment or violence or whatever, assault. But that's not, you know, that's a separate kind of matter <laughs> rather than free speech. Free speech doesn't protect you from 
facing the consequences of your actions, right? And on social media, many of these platforms face this problem of having of being a platform for people to say anything, right? And because people can say anything, they can say really heinous stuff. And those really bad, you know, ideas, those really heinous stuff can very easily and has, right, turn into real world assault, real world um, violence. We see this with the trans community all the time. So when people say, oh, I should have a right to say what I want about, for instance, trans people and say these people are not real people or are not real women or like, you know, whatever. And then call for these people to be, you know, executed or to not have any, you know, (laughs) any reproductive rights or to, you know, to not have a job, for instance. (laughs) Right. And then those things happen because, of course, our uh, country is extremely conservative in many ways, even to this day. Right. When that happens. And it does happen, like in Texas and here in Georgia, even. Right. When that happens, that means that your words on Twitter or on social media has caused real world consequences for somebody who did nothing to you, who was no part of the conversation, who wasn't even, you know, trying to do anything. They were just minding their own business. But because your ideas were platformed and people who had the decision making power looked at that and said, yeah, that that's an excuse for me to <laughs> do whatever I see fit here. Then what do we say about that? Right. There's a difference between you being able to say whatever you want and then there being consequences for those actions and then there being, you know, further, um, you know, second and third level effects, ripples from all of that. And it's really unfortunate that, that all of this nuance is kind of being conflated into this idea of free speech, <laughs> right? Because if anyone goes goes around saying, oh, Twitter isn't, it doesn't allow free speech because it bans people like Donald Trump, you know, <laughs> what does that really mean, right? Donald Trump was specifically banned because the terms and services of this platform, now I don't necessarily believe in terms and services, I think that's a whole other conversation, but nonetheless, terms and services of this organization, this private company, or public company, whatever, right, it's still a company, says this is what's not allowed on this platform, you cannot, you know, talk about, or you cannot say things that that come to violence, right? And Donald Trump was very much saying things that come to violence. So he was banned. Right? This is in their terms of service. And in fact, it wasn't even that clear, obviously, because many of us was like, why is he able to say these things for, what, a year, two year, three, almost his entire presidency? <laughs> um, and that showed us that, you know, people with sufficient political power or any sort of power and influence can kind of skirt these rules, whereas... A regular user, and I know many people who are like these users can say some um, s- similar stuff and get banned instantly, right? 
while many of these influential people can say stuff like that and not get banned <laughs> at least not instantly unless there's a, a public enough outcry in there and the company's stocks go down or something like that right so this shows you that freedom of speech doesn't really mean anything right it's just being manipulated by whoever has the most influence at the time and even then you know that influence is just like blowing with the wind <laughs> or really blowing with the dollars so whoever has the biggest wallet right or the biggest buying power they can then kind of decide what freedom of speech means on this private platform this is why I really enjoy um, folks like uh, new new public I think that's their Twitter name um, civic signals they make um, they're trying to create social media that is literally public that is on that's like a public utility or like a public park or you know if it's private it's like a library or something like that right where it's literally neutral <laughs> um, the technology the ownership of it you know all of that is a neutral you know public benefit public utility just like once again a park and so with that, you can actually talk about freedom of speech, right? Because it's a public area where everybody's like it's in the comments. And so all the people within that community then can discuss what it means to have freedom of speech, what gets, uh, what gets banned, what does not, what is allowed, what is not, things like that, right? That makes far more sense than some, you know, billionaire buying out this... <laughs> private company talking about oh I'm gonna you know uh, champion freedom free speech <laughs> when we all know what happens when you know a authoritarian a totalitarian whatever you want to call it person is in charge of something alright they're the ones that's gonna have much of the power here and sure they might be able to they might even, you know, do do good with it, with like a Washington Post, but it's still going to be a huge risk, right? It's still going to be this very high likelihood that this platform will be abused, will be manipulated by this influential figure, and that's just, you know, one of the big things happen. Of course, you have this whole Ukraine-Russia um, mess, which is really unfortunate because I was watching Channel 5 the other day and I'm not sure if it's many of the Russian people, but it seems that they, some of the uh, some media folks were able to get into Russia and asked these Russians what they think about the invasion and they didn't even think it was real. <laughs> They were saying, oh, Russia's not invading anybody. You know? Or the few that did was like, oh, they're just taking care of some neo-Nazis or whatever, right? Even though you can literally go through Ukraine and see, like, little dead bodies of just civilians. Women and children, old people just, just on the street. Like... It really is ridiculous with what's going on with uh, not just the war, but the media. Like how 
Russia, specifically Putin, right? The political people in charge of Russia can have such a stranglehold on their communications, on the media, to the point where they can feed their own citizens with all this propaganda. I mean, granted, a lot of that happens in America too, so, so I mean, pointing fingers there. But, you know, a lot of the, you know, Russian, there's a lot of evidence pointed to the fact that uh, these these Russian pol- politicals, political folks also have a lot of propaganda in American media and explains a lot of the American problems. In fact, there was a really interesting study. I need to find it again and post it. But I was reading, listening to this podcast by, uh, um, what is it called? Uh. Tristan, what's this podcast called? Your Undivided Attention. There we go. Your Undivided Attention. He was interviewing someone who was part of the uh, CIA. I'm not sure if I talked about this already. Um, one of my last episodes, but um, they were doing studies about um, civil war and stuff like that around the world, and they noticed that every time. Facebook came into a country's media and started to be started to be like the the more popular kind of platform in that country. Division would would rise up, you know, like inflammatory language and echo chambers and um, this they them us them mentality. You know that would crop up. This extremist. Um, beliefs and things like that would and it was it was drastic it was like they were able to prove that this does happen be strictly because of Facebook it's not due to any 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 other factors they were able to control for pretty much every other factor you introduce Facebook into this you know community and boom just like that people start distrusting their neighbors and and uh, all this other stuff and have more extremist views and you know um have less community and stuff like that it's it was really it's really damning and what's really sad about this is that this is still not even something that can that they could move on because facebook will come back and say oh that was our old algorithms you know we saw what was wrong with that and we fixed it here's a new algorithm right (laughs) so of course that will require a whole new study which which could take months if not years so by the time they get, you know, conclusive evidence showing that Facebook almost certainly did cause yet more damage, they can say, oh, that was, we, we improved the algorithm. That was years ago, you know? <laughs> and so they could just keep on doing that. Until the point where people, unless people were like, no, 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 it's it's Facebook. It doesn't matter what algorithms you get. It's Facebook itself. <laughs> All right. So in that podcast, they were talking about how we need to have more prefigurative, you know, kind of solutions here. And that it doesn't matter how you fine-tune these algorithms. If the incentives and the overall structure, right, of these systems foster this sort of divisiveness, then that's always going to be the result, to use smaller words here, if these, you know, 
algorithms, if these bots, if these suggestions that this platform gives you is always focused on what they can get the most ad revenue out of, what they can make the most money out of because of engagement and putting ads in there, then it's going to, you know, increase the amount of extreme views and the amount of um, the de-evolution of, of conversation. It's going to be more argumentative instead of actual communication, instead of cooperation, instead of compromise, instead of consensus. And we see this in almost every social media platform. I give you an example with LinkedIn. Right? A lot of people on LinkedIn are trying to figure out why certain posts get more popular and certain other posts don't. And you'll notice that the posts that get popular are the ones in which have the most comments. And you can see this on the feed because whenever somebody comments on something, LinkedIn will go crazy. It will put it on your feed. Like if I'm if I'm not even friends with it, with somebody, if I'm not friends with Joe, for instance, right? He's not in my network. But my friend Deb, you know, comments on Joe's post, and my feed is gonna say Deb commented on Joe's post, join the conversation, or something like that. I'm gonna put it on my feed. And it's gonna give me notifications every day. I'm, I don't even be on LinkedIn nowadays that much. But every day there's like 20 plus notifications. None of these notifications are people actually tagging me. They're just, oh, you know, your friend commented here, your friend liked that, your other friend liked this, your other friend commented on this. Right? <laughs> so LinkedIn cares about engagement. And it will blast things out to your entire network <laughs> based on who which friends are closest to you and where they what they like and comment. And so if you have a post that is very inflammatory and people just have to comment on it to correct you or to say no what about this or oh you're missing this point or this that and the other right LinkedIn would love to say oh yeah that means this is an engaging conversation right people are engaging on it but in the reality it could be a really terrible take and people are like this is stupid why is this here on LinkedIn you know <laughs> I've literally seen posts like that Where people are arguing in the comments, and yes, this this is on a on a quote unquote professional platform. People will be arguing these comments about some stupid stuff, but those get, posts get super popular. Another version of these posts that may not be they, that may not be seen as like negative per se are ones that are very vapid. All right, congrats! Hey, I got a new job at this fancy company. And people are like, yeah, congrats, congrats, congrats. But because everybody's saying congrats, people just want to be nice. All right. That gets blasted to your network. So now you have all these posts talking about something. Yeah, congrats. This person got a new job. Yeah, congrats, congrats, congrats. Come say congrats. All right. And so this post gets super popular. Even though it has no actual, you know, quote unquote value. I don't like to use that term, but as in it's not really something that you really care that much about like yes nice somebody got a new job 
but they're not even in my network. I don't know this person. I don't really care to know this person at the moment. Like I'm just, <laughs> but I'm. It's on my feed because that's what you know LinkedIn cares about. And this is LinkedIn. Once again, it's supposed to be a quote unquote professional platform, and this is how the algorithm works. This the same thing goes for every other social media, and it's even worse because of course on Twitter, it does not got. <laughs> It doesn't matter how professional it is, right? There's no there's no veneer of professionalism on Twitter. I've taken a lot of effort to curate my Twitter such that I usually find I usually have, see mostly professional things or things from, you know, people that I respect or, you know, have I think have good takes or fu- at least funny takes, you know, stuff like that. So I don't usually see a whole lot of toxic stuff, but I still see toxic stuff. <laughs> It's not that difficult. Like, as soon as you get two tweets in to a chain or to a reply thread or quote tweet or whatever, it's it's a mess. Right? Same thing for YouTube. YouTube is probably even worse and yet better at the same time. It's crazy because with YouTube, you have so much content on there and so many people on there that you can get really great content and really bad content right all in the same week like it's it's insane and furthermore you can like it will lock you into like a chamber like an echo chamber where you have a whole bunch of really great content but they tend to kind of mix together because it's just giving you more of the same and then occasionally it will give you something different and that you know it works for you and like oh wow I'm, i'm glad the algorithm found this like this is amazing but then that's that's you know that's kind of offset by all the ads and <laughs> you know um content that you think is really good and then years later you get out of that bubble and you're like oh wow this this that was a terrible bubble I was in right you where you don't even realize that you're in a bubble and a great example of this is Gary V I used to be a freaking huge Gary V fan <laughs> all right I used to be like, oh yeah, he's he, you know he's different from all these you know Ty Lopez or anything like that. You know he has actual businesses, you know he, he has great advice and stuff like that. Um, it's funny dude, always giving back this that and the other. And I used to see people like, oh no, Gary V, he's a shill, blah blah blah, or this that and the other. I'm just like, no, I mean, I didn't really cap too hard for him because I, I learned not to cap for people, but I would still get annoyed. I'm just like, hey, he's different than. You know this person that person he actually has these businesses you can look them up you know there's people working there who says it's good to work there which is true right <laughs> he has real businesses that real people work at that people do like working there right so it's not like Ty Lopez where it's literally like you don't even know how he makes his money <laughs> which is just you know scamming people but um yeah so I was in this kind of bubble and then you see kind of similar types of people you know who be on that level and so you know it wasn't until like pretty much this year like I stopped listening to him a couple like two years ago or so just because it was just like I got tired of whole self-help thing or that whole crap and I started getting getting more and more against capitalism as a whole because I realized it doesn't really matter how, how hard you work <laughs> alright it's the entire system that's designed against you but Nonetheless, it wasn't until this year that I started to see more and more um, content talking about the problems with folks like Gary Vee. 
And even now, like, I'm still uncomfortable watching that stuff because I'm just like, man, he, he seems like a cool dude, <laughs> you know? But then I've seen, like, oh, no, he literally had a pump and dump scheme. Like, it's not even questionable. And it's, and this is coming from me, who is extremely, you know, open and, like, I don't put myself in many holes. Like, I, I'm always, like, trying to figure out something new or look at things from new perspectives. But, like... Even me, you know, fell down into this bubble, to this rabbit hole. And so, like, every platform in, in the current internet is, is pretty much built on this, on these ideas. Is built on, is designed, right, to foment echo chambers and, um, Sensationalism and extremism and stuff like that Because that's profitable Which leads me to The last thing I want to talk about today I know I'm already at 30 minutes So I need to shut this down Let me see one second How much time do I have For my next meeting Okay I have a bit of time um, So I'll, I'll try to finish this as, on my way back To the house But um This brings me to the last topic I want to talk about Which is Web3 Alright a lot of people are capping for Web3, cryptocurrency, blockchain, all that stuff, metaverse. Um, I've talked about this on and off a little bit here and there, and I'm going to talk about it more, I think, going forward. Shout out to Zach, who's been saying I should probably do like a do like a uh, counter example, like a, you know, I, I'm getting my words, but <laughs> I should share my thoughts on it more. So I'll try to do that. Um because, number one, I do think that there's a lot of good things about the ideas behind Web3, right? The idea is that people should be able to own their own data, right? Interoperability is a good thing, and we should create technologies and systems that enable interoperability, that enable the, the ability for you to move your stuff from one place to another very easily, right? I think these ideas make sense, right? And I think most people would agree, most people would agree that it's really ridiculous that you cannot move your friends list from Facebook to Twitter or or to Google or to whatever, right? Like it's impossible right now to move your information from one network that you pay for to another that you pay for or that you um, are very uh, active on, right? Because you don't own any of your data. All of it is owned by the platform itself, even though that platform would not be popular without you and all people all the people like you being active on that platform so a lot of web 3 the ideas behind it right is is theoretically <laughs> to make it easier for people to you know transfer their data from one place to another and now they have a lot of fancy terms for all this stuff you know trustless blockchain block protocols this that and the other whatever right i'll get into that in a, at a later date but the problem with all these ideas is the implementation. Is the fact, is the cold hard fact, that it's still capitalist based. It's still, as they're trying to build up this, these, these tools and these platforms and these systems that are more consumer centric, that are, you know, that allow for people to move their data from one place to another, the builders of this platform are investors. Right? The investors of this platform are capitalists. Right? And so the fundamental 
mental model of these people is how can I make money? <laughs> how can I make this profitable? All right? And because of that, you see a huge, huge amount of scams <laughs> and Ponzi schemes and bullshit, right? With a vast majority, probably 90, 99% of freaking uh, Web3 projects of crypto, blockchain, quote-unquote metaverse projects are just scams, right? Precisely because people are like, oh, how can I make this money? And here's here's some here's some examples. I'm gonna do even good faith ones. I'm not even gonna go to the easy, bad ones, um, like Earth Two. <laughs> I'm gonna go to the to good ones. Like um, one of the first uh, popular ones was what uh, crypto crypto monkeys or crypto punks, and or was it the uh, was it the bat lion? I forgot what it's called. <laughs> Uh, board apes. No, I think that that was the first one. I think it's board apes, like the board apes and board apes yacht club and stuff like that. Now people always make fun of them because of their, you know, ugly ass art, so-called art, right? Um, and that's easy to take down. But what they actually have a good idea around is this idea of community, right? Building a community where people feel supported in that community, and there is a incentive. Right to really care for them for the community because you have a token, right? You have a um, part of that community where you you basically have a token that says you are part of this community and you were here early. You were here when we first came up, right? This is like being a fan of you know let's say JID and I say you know I was a fan of JID since the beginning, right? Day one fan. Well, right now there's no way to prove that you were a day one fan. So you could just be capping. You could just be straight up lying and saying, oh, yeah, I was a day one fan. <laughs> right. And people do that all the time. You know, clout chasing and and, you know, trying to follow trends and jump on the bandwagon, um, trying to be, you know, the 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 saying I was an indie person when really they were just a pop vulture, pop culture vulture. Right. <laughs> and so uh, projects like the Board Eight Club. Are saying no we actually have a receipt that you were here when we first came about you were here in the first month right you were here in the first year whatever and because of that right you can gain certain rights you can gain certain voting rights to what we get to do to the things that we're building um you can do all this sorts of things right that's as, as a kind of thank you for being an early day one fan of this community right that seems like a good idea but of course when you have money behind it, when you have the idea of let's make money behind this, then this quickly becomes a, a thing of speculation and it thing and becomes a thing of inequality. Where yes, it's cool that you were a day one fan, but if you have more voting power for whatever the Board Ape Club does, that means that people like the, the entire community will will evolve, will I'm sorry, will revolve, will rotate, will center around the minority of people who were the day one fans and that's the other kind of side to this thing right if you had a hundred day one fans for instance and then the community blows up to ten thousand people a million people but all these day one fans have most of the buying power have the community power have the uh, voting power or whatever right that means the community is going to be controlled by these day one fans and this is bad not just for the fans but also for the artists because many artists will talk about how they changed how at first they was making this type of music 
But then some fans, you know, and then they wanted to train, they wanted to try a different type of music, right? Like, happens all the time. But then the day one fans are like, oh, why are you changing? I like this type of music. You know, don't do that, right? And so the the artist feels con- uh, feels uh, constrained. They feel like they can't evolve. They can't try anything new because these freaking you know fans won't let them try new stuff or they won't support them. And now if if you've if you've um, put this in a community format, right? You've literally uh, stratified this behavior. You you've codified this behavior. Now, of course, people say, oh, but you can sell your tokens, right? This is the other side of it. They say, oh, you can um, sell your tokens so that once you, if you no longer care about this community, if you think they're changing too much or they're going in a different direction, you can just sell your stuff to another per- other people, right? And you can make a profit on the fact that you were a day one fan, and that will free up the artist to do whatever. Granted, that's a great idea. But here's the other side of it, right? Incentives for money once again was you whatever you bring this in you bring in the behaviors around greed the fact that you can sell this at a greater price means that people have an incentive to pump this community right to pump it up so that hey uh, there was only a thousand of us before we want a million people in here so that when i sell this it's going to be worth 10 100 a thousand x more than when i initially bought in all right so it literally incentivizes you to create a pyramid scheme (laughs) around your community even if it was a great community the fact that you want to buy out or have the opportunity to to literally sell your day one status right means that people (laughs) now now can say oh yeah everybody come join this community come join the community this dude doing the best thing ever like it incentivizes this sort of behavior right not because people actually believe in the community they actually believe in the art or whatever the hell the community is doing, but because they want this money. So it, 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 it instantly, just like that, divorces the art from the community. Right. It, it, it makes it commoditizes the art. So nobody really cares about the art anymore. And you can see this very clearly with the with the um, any of these crypto folks that say, oh, yeah, I do about the art. But nobody you telling me you you like this ugly ass art that's literally just procedurally generated. You could do this in an afternoon. You can do this in a second. Just clicking a button and you can make this and you call that art that you want to pay ten thousand dollars. No, (laughs) people don't care about the art. They might say they do. And I'm I'm not going to say that. Maybe people do care about the art. But the fact of the matter is it does not engender much more experimentation with this art i'll say that right because it's procedurally generated because you can just make a whole bunch of other you know crypto punks or whatever and then sell those and then because people are buying it because they perceive that they can then in turn sell it for a greater price the art becomes less and less you know important and becomes more and more about how big we can make the community, how how much we can make when we sell this. And so the focus goes further and further away from what the community was supposed to be for, which is art or um, actual sense of community or you know day one fans or anything like that, and becomes more and more towards speculation. This is the fundamental problem with with tying monetary gains to a community based on based on really anything right it could be not just art but you know games they're trying to put that in there um or any other thing that you can tie to the blockchain or to nfts 
right? It fundamentally ties greed <laughs> and the speculation and the worst parts of capitalism into what's supposed to be just a a sense of community and the sense of um, you know, creation and things like that. So that's my problem with Web three right now. Is capitalism essentially, right? If you divorce capitalism from Web three, it would it would be amazing. It would be one of the best tools for socialism, for anarchy, for actual change, for actual egalitarianism. Because you can actually build a real community, and then give and then mint those those that day one fans. That actually is proof that you are a part of this community, and so you can reduce the um the 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 risk of there being um freaking under undercover people who just come into the community late and then try to jump in there and, and pretend that, that they were always here and try to take control of, of the community which happens all the time in these anarchy movements and social uh socialism movements and stuff like that we have these cia agents and things like that jump in there or other you know um mal actors or bad actors come in there and try to you know subvert the whole cause well, and a if you if you you know put it on a blockchain and NFT and everything is kind of you can see the the uh, how things are spent, for instance. Then as everybody is a part of that community and, and says, hey, we want to take this money and spend it on something for the actual community. You can actually see if the dollars are going towards that thing. For instance, if you're in a neighborhood, right? Let's make this physical. And you say uh, like this happens all the time with schools, right? The school, we want to buy school books. But then today you can have all this corruption where the administrators are instead buying new cars. <laughs> and they're claiming, oh, no, this, this money didn't come from them. No, I made it myself, right? It happens all the time. I've lived it in Clayton County schools, right? If we can tie this to a blockchain, it will be so much better because you can actually say, hey, my tax dollars are going to this school, which is buying these books, right <laughs> and you can actually see if your money is being used the right way now granted at the same time there is also risk here there's risk of the wrong people um stratifying or codifying their bad ideas such as we don't want to buy you we don't want to buy these books right because they're too liberal right <laughs> and so now you're gonna have to face that problem Right? So either way you cut it, there's significant problems that you have to figure out. And it comes down to the, to the culture. It comes down to ensuring the systematic design of the environment fosters the type of inclusive, empowering, egalitarian culture that is actually going to be beneficial for human development, for human well-being in the short and long term. But yeah, there's a lot of more other stuff I want to talk about Web3. But that's kind of quick thoughts on it, <laughs> relatively speaking. Um, yeah, I'll end it there. As always, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening, rather. Um, let me know your thoughts on this stuff. As always, I would love to have discussions. And um, have a great day. See you. Bye-bye.